I would invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We want to continue our study in this precious book. It's been so good for my own soul to just go through just really phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, and uh, look at these precious promises from the Word of God um, that, that nourish our spirits so much. I'll begin reading 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read the, the entire section. We won't look at this whole section today, but uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. And coming to him as, a, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense for those who for, uh, they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were appointed. But you are a choice, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, such a precious passage. We thank you so much for these precious words, just informing us of this great, salvation that you've given to us and and far beyond their salvation the position that you've raised us to lord thank you may we respond in kind may we apply these words to our heart and mind today and may we live them out in our life this week we pray these things in jesus name amen well, we hear a lot about white privilege today. Um, and I am a white male American. But today's message is not about white privilege. So you can rest easy about that. I know we get a little tense and a little nervous when that subject comes up. But today's message is about privilege. Privilege. Um, there was nothing privileged about my growing up. I had a mom and a dad and a house. And that was about the privilege that, that I had. Um, but I took, advantages, I took advantage of what I, I did have. And that primarily, the real privilege that I had, that we all have, is growing up in America. And that's the real privilege. Um, we can take advantage of the, of the uh, education and the freedoms and the opportunities that we have 
here. Um, and that's the, that's the real privilege. We have a lot of people that are trying to come into this country to take advantage of the privileges that we have. And, and when we were in California, we, we saw this. And they were hard workers. These immigrants would come in to our country and they would be much harder workers many times than, than those who were born in America. In fact, I think it's funny. Those who were born in America, many times, they, they take the privileges that we have for, for granted. They just want the, the privileges, but they don't want to have the opportunity and the responsibilities that come with those privileges. They just want the handout. But I've noticed that those who come into the country many times... They, they love the privileges that they have, but they're willing to work for those privileges. They realize the position that they're in. Now, Peter is getting to that point here. Peter is articulating for us the, the privileges that the believer has in Christ. Now, we beginning, we're, we're seeing this. We've, we've been seeing this. Paul did the same thing, didn't he? In the, in the book of Ephesians, he just laid out privilege after privilege that we have in Christ. And Peter knows how important it is, and he's reminding us this dramatic change that God has, has wrought in our life. He is, he is, in his sovereignty, he has worked and caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope or faith that will not die and he has this living Word of God in us, along with the Holy Spirit maturing us. In short, this is a whole new identity for us. And this gives, of course, great security and great comfort to our own hearts. And we've, we've been looking at this. But Peter's not done. He doesn't finish there. Salvation, salvation also results in the incorporating us into the body of Christ, something bigger than ourselves. The, the church, that's a place of privilege as well. Last week we, we saw that we come to Christ because God works in our life. We, we come to Him because He draws us. And then we saw last week that He has established us to a priesthood. Um, again, a place of, of honor, uh, ministering for Christ where we offer up spiritual sacrifices of worship to Him on a daily basis while we're here on this earth. So that goes far beyond just saving us, just getting us to heaven, far beyond our salvation. This is a place of privilege and really prestige. And this gives us purpose. This gives us fulfillment. This gives us meaning to the mundane things of life. We are in a place of privilege. A place of privilege. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turning from your sins, turning to Christ, following Christ now, you are in a place of privilege. Um, in April, on April, In April of this year, one of the royal couples uh, abdicated their position. They, they walked away from the royal family in Britain. They walked away from the, the family, the position, the heritage, the privileges that they had for their children. And they also walked away from their responsibilities of that. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle... They were heirs to the throne. 
Uh, but that was not that important to them. They advocated that. They just kind of walked away from that. Of course, it was a shock to the royal family. Harry, he was, he was in a prestigious position here, but it wasn't that uh, important to him. Now, he wasn't alone. Uh, he had an uncle to do this earlier on. And it's because of the pressure, they said, not not so much Harry, but the uncle. It was the, the pressure, the responsibilities, the duties that they had because of the position that they were in, the privileges that they had. There's a, a lot of responsibilities. And because they walked away, they didn't want that responsibility. They they didn't they didn't want those privileges and or the responsibility, then those privileges and the responsibilities had to fall on someone else. And that's actually how Queen Elizabeth came into uh, to be the, the queen. Those privileges are not worth the responsibilities that go along with that, those privileges and duties. And those, then when someone walks away, then the, fall, the responsibility falls on other people. Now, there is pressure. There are duties even in the Christian life. I know you, you see the parallel. You see the connection there. And they can be intense sometimes. But you cannot separate the privileges that we have with the responsibilities that we have as either. I mean, there's one position. It's one position. And that's the way it is when you become an adult, right? I don't want to be a child anymore, mom. I want to be an adult. Okay, well, you, you be the adult and you take on the responsibilities. And then you begin to realize, ah, I want to be a kid again. There's adult responsibilities, and it's hard. Now, I'm afraid, folks, that there's many people in the church today, the American church today, that are abdicating their responsibilities. They love the privileges, but they don't want the responsibilities. Many times, many times, now, I understand that there's Christians who don't quite understand the privileges yet, and, and Peter is articulating these things. There's a, there's a level of maturity, there's a level of understanding that, that you have to have. But those who have full knowledge of the privileges that we have and then abdicate that responsibility, abdicate those privilege, that privilege, um, that's just plain wrong. There's something wrong with that for whatever reason. And Peter, in this passage, wants us to understand the, the privileges. He wants us to understand the identity that we have in Christ, the position that we have in Christ. But he also wants us to, to fully embrace those privileges, fully embrace that role that we have called, been called to. He's not just articulating these things. Now, just uh, to, uh, to keep in mind these things, no, he's wanting us to embrace these things. And as God's children, we have to understand the privileges, but we have to embrace that position and the, with joy. Now, what, what are those privileged, privileges that we have in Christ? What is that role that believers have in following Christ? Peter articulates a few here in, in this uh, larger passage. Now, we're only going to look at three today. Um, We'll start with verse 6. First of all, you see principle number one there, that believers have the privilege 
of a place of security in Christ. Our security is in Christ. Now look at verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Now, Peter is, is going to prove his point, and he does so by quoting from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. And he's laying out this, uh, this principle of Christ being the, the cornerstone, and we are added to that. So here's what he says. He quotes this. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Now, this is God talking. He's quoting from the Old Testament. God is saying, Behold, look, look at this. Be amazed at this. I lay in Zion, that is in Jerusalem. I'm going to establish in Jerusalem a choice stone. My chosen uh, Messiah. And He's going to establish, be established in Jerusalem. It's a precious stone. And He goes on, And he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. That's us. It's a spiritual house, a spiritual uh, kingdom right now. And those who believe in Him, put their faith and trust in Him, and will, will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. Now that's a key word, obviously. That's it. Uh, the, to understand that, though, we have to understand the, the, this cornerstone. Now, I've brought this up a, a few times, but you need to understand it. The, the cornerstone was the foundational building block for the, a building. And that had to be precise. It had to be exact. Uh, it had to be symmetrical. Everything had to match. The horizontal lines, the, the right angles, the, horizontal, the, the um, uh, vertical lines... Everything had to be flawless because everything was going to be built off of that one cornerstone. And that was Christ. All the other stones are, are built around that. In Hebrews chapter 4, we see a, a good uh, verse to keep in mind with this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body... Now, this is a different analogy, but you get the point. Uh, the body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Listen, we are a living stone. And Christ is that cornerstone, and we fit into that perfectly. And when we become a Christian, when we put our faith and trust in God, we are put in that, in that wall, placed in with Christ. Now, really, this is a this is a a wonderful position that we are are in. Um, and he says, let's go back to our text. We will not. He puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We will not be disappointed. Uh, now, sometimes when you um, look forward to seeing a movie and and people other people see the movie and they say, "Oh, you need to see this movie. It's a great movie." And it's kind of built up in our mind, and we watch the movie, and you say, ah, it's okay, it was a pretty good movie, but you're just a little bit disappointed. Well, that's the, that's the idea, but it goes beyond that, and, and there's an element of humiliated. It's literally, uh, he's quoting actually from the Septuagint, the Greek version of that Hebrew passage, and it literally reads, shall not be in haste. 
You're, you're not going to run away in, in shame or disgrace or dishonor because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be humiliated or disgraced because you've done this. Now, he puts this in the negative way, right? You will not be disappointed. But really, this is a positive concept. He's really talking about our security, the security that we have in Christ. You're placed alongside with Christ. He's the cornerstone, and you're placed in that. This is a place of security. And you will not be disappointed in any way because you have misplaced your faith. That's essentially what he's saying. This is a, a sure thing. This is a can't-fail situation. This is talking about security. MacArthur points this out. He paints a good picture for us. He says this, Because Jesus Christ, being the cornerstone, is the perfect, exact, precise one upon whom God has built His church. All the lines coming from Him in every direction complete the perfect temple of God. No one is ever out of line. No one falls from that structure. It is the perfect example, uh, perfect uh, fit, excellent, and permanently fit together. Now, this isn't, an, he goes on to point, point out, this is an illustration of security, the security of the believer. That's a good, that's a good uh, explanation of this. If you look at, at this wall over here, you see one wall, but this wall is made up of hundreds of, of bricks. We, the church, is made up of hundreds of bricks. Now, they're all in line. They're all symmetrical. It all fits just perfectly. You can tell that it's deliberately. You can tell the intent of the, the builder. It's all put together. And you don't... You, those bricks, each individual bricks is, is lost in the, in the wall. We see the whole wall. It fits together perfectly. That's the place of security right there. We are secure. That's the idea here. Now, folks, there's some things that rob us of our security. When we sin, or we're living in a, a sinful pattern of our life, that's, uh, there's guilt in our life, and there's going to be feelings of, of insecurity. There should be insecurity and uncertainty, self-focus, uh, destructiveness, uh, distraction from God. And the cure for this is repentance. We just need to repent. And we can, we can gain those. We learn that from David's life. He repented and, and his assurance of that salvation came back. Sometimes we lose our, rob our um, feelings of security because of sin. Sometimes it's because of doctrine. The free will Baptist doctrine of, of being able to lose your salvation. That, that causes insecurity and insecure feelings, at least, in our minds. And that doctrine is basically just a, a roller coaster going up and down of losing your salvation and regaining that salvation. It becomes essentially just a works-based salvation. So doctrine, we can lose our security of salvation by doctrine. Sometimes it's because of worry. And I think that's the position these people were in here. They were facing persecution, and, and, and they can lose, they can forfeit their security or their sense of security. They can lose their, their peace by not trusting God, by not trusting God. 
They become so fearful that it just robs them of their peace. Now, here's the principle. If God is, uh, he is in charge and, and He can do the greater thing, like our salvation, He can certainly do the lesser thing of protecting us and feeding us on a daily basis and, and taking care of us. That was Christ's point in Matthew chapter 6, wasn't it? That your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. This is mundane things. And God can provide. God can take care of these things. Sometimes, folks, we let our security be robbed because of worry. Now, the recipients of this letter from Peter, they're beginning to see that no matter what happens to them, no matter what kind of persecution comes that, their way, it's not outside of God's control and God's plan for their life. In fact, all that they have and all that they are <clears throat> are because of the amazing grace of God. There's security in that, folks. There's security. They need to, they need to understand that. And these... Secure feelings really come from what? From maturity. From proper understanding. That's the greatest place of security. When a, when a, a, a child, they're growing up. I have boys in my family uh, still. And they're in that, in that between stage uh, of becoming an adult. Complete responsibility all upon themselves. And that's, and that's a place of maturity. But it's, it has to come from understanding and commitment and doing. There's a lot of freedoms, a lot of freedoms and a lot of privileges of being an adult. But there's also what, a lot of responsibilities in that as well. But in that, there is security. There's security. We have a privileged position because we are secure in Christ. We are living stones. We are worshipers of the living God. And when we are involved in that, when we take that seriously and we're mature believers and we're worshiping God, there's no more place, there's no more secure place for the believer than right there. Number two. Number two. Go back to our passage in verse seven. We see that the believer has have the privilege of affection for Christ. For love for Christ. Now look at verse 7. For this precious value, this cornerstone that, that God has already established, this is a precious, uh, prized, unique, uh, one-of-a-kind uh, of value. This precious value then is for you who believe. Now then Peter makes a strong contrast. It's for you who believe. But those who disbelieve, in contrast, those who disbelieve, and he quotes again from the Old Testament, the stone which the builders rejected, that is the the, uh, Jewish leaders, they evaluated Christ and they said, no, this can't be the Messiah. And so they rejected Him and they threw Him out. And that stone then, Christ, became a stumbling block for Many, many people, a lot of the Jews, a lot of the Jewish people, and really the rest of the world, it comes down to Christ. They stumble over Christ. And and here's the contrast. But those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, became the very cornerstone. That's the one that God picked up and said, hey, I'm going to use this and I'm going to build my church with it. 
The Jewish leaders rejected it. And he goes on. Verse 8, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to everybody else. It, they stumble over one thing, and that is Christ. And they stumble, why? Verse 8, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to, those, to this doom they, have, they are also appointed. Now, God doesn't appoint them to... Uh, the destination of unbelief, they're appointed, and this was done in the garden. The day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The appointment is the judgment that they face because of their disbelief, because they refuse to believe. They refuse to, he says, obey the word of God, so they're doomed to that. They're doomed to that. And, and every time they disobey, every time, every sin they commit, that just keeps them under the wrath of God. And they were, they were doomed to this because they are disobedient to the Word. Now, in contrast, the benefit is ours. What's the benefit? This precious stone, this precious value this precious, um, he says precious value here, but this, this, it's Christ. Now, let me show you this. In John chapter 8, this is, this is a wonderful concept here. John chapter 8, verse 42. You need to see this. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. If you, if God were your Father, then you would love me. There would be an affection for Christ. Now, folks, that affection for Christ distinguishes us from the world. If you're in John, turn, turn over to John chapter 17. Christ mentions this. This is mentioned really throughout the New Testament, but Christ mentions it in His high priestly prayer. He's talking to the Father about us, those who believe. In John chapter 17 and verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. That's what distinguishes us. We love Christ. And because of that love for Christ, the world hated Christ and the world hates us. That's the stumbling stone, folks. That's the the stone of offense. The world doesn't know what to do with Christ. Now, we... We don't see this. I think it's becoming clearer and clearer. We, we disagree with the world so many in so many little areas. Politics and, and ideology and sometimes personality. But those are superficial. That's just a mask. It's not pragmatics. It's not the economy. It's not progressivism or traditionalism. Those are just layers of the onion. When you get down to the core of what we disagree with the world is, and that is Christ. It goes all the way down to the heart level, the spiritual level. And it comes down to one thing, and it's their hatred for Christ. Say, I don't see that. It is there. They refuse to submit themselves to His rule. They refuse to, re- and they reject His authority. And, and ultimately, 
they hate him. And folks, they will hate us. This is the distinguishing mark, distinguishing dividing line, if you will, that distinguishes us from the world. Now, we know that we are on the right side. Why? Because we love Christ. Because we love Christ. Um, we uh, sometimes run into Christians and their love for Christ is a little masked. They don't quite get it. They, they don't really have the right attitude and they, and they just complain. They just complain. They feel like they deserve more than they're getting. And they say, why does God allow this to happen to me? And why is God doing this to me? And why does God make my life so hard? Why do I have to work so much and seem to get so little in return? Why am I so unlucky? David's attitude and the attitude of the believer is completely different. David said this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's my shepherd. That's his value. That's what he admires most, is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want. He's going to provide my needs. He's going to provide my needs. And I'll be content with with what he provides. I'm going to trust in him. I know that he's going to give me more than I deserve anyway. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Listen, is David saying that, that God makes our life perfect? No, not at all. But, but that's not the point. It's the point. The point is that He is our shepherd. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we highly value. And I think so many times Christians get it wrong. But we should thank God every day that He is our shepherd, that we love Him, that puts us on the right side, puts us on the the winning side, if you will. There's two sides to two sides uh, in a football, right? We watch football this later this afternoon. There's a, there's going to be a line. That line moves. But, but that line is pretty well established. And if you put your big toe over that line, the referee is going to call it, and he's going to say, you're out of bounds. Folks, what divides us from the rest of the world is this one thing, and that's this love for Christ or hatred for Christ. And that's the dividing line. How is your love for Christ demonstrated in this world? Do you love Christ? What is your attitude toward Him? You you complaining? He never gives me enough. I I never have enough. He he brings all of these bad things into my life. The privileges that we have as a believer is that we are secure in Christ and that we have affection for Christ because that puts us on the right side. Number three. Let's pull this together. Number three. Believers have the privilege of being elected by God. Now look at verse 9. We'll just look at the first little phrase. But you, that's the contrast, but you, in contrast to those unbelievers who rejected the stone, but you are a choice, a chosen race. You are a chosen race. Now let's stop right there because that is mind-blowing, folks. We're chosen 
selected, distinguished out. Eklektos is the, is the Greek word. We're a chosen race, a chosen people, having, we're descendants having the same ancestor. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And the, the common ancestor that we have is Christ. We have a common heritage. We have a, a, we're united in a, a, a new birth that we have all experienced as believers. And believers, folks, this is, this is a whole new identity for us. We're a whole new race. We're not of the Adamic race anymore. Sure, we're still flesh and blood. We're a spiritual race, spiritual birth. We're from Christ, the second Adam. Uh, the same blood as in Abraham that flows through our veins. He is our Father in one way, and that is faith. It's faith in Christ. We're elect. We're selected. We're chosen. We're, we're picked out of the crowd. Now, this is unmistakable in Scripture. When you begin to see this in Scripture, you see it everywhere. Every author in the New Testament espouses and proclaims this doctrine. Now, I want you to see a few. I just want you to see a few because I want, your, I want you to be blessed by these. And, and I'm going to have them on the screen there. Matthew chapter 22 is our first one. You can see them. It's kind of small. Matthew chapter 22. I'm just going to write, read through these quickly. Verse 8, verse 14. Matthew 22, verse 14. Very short verse. But for many are chosen, but few, many are called, but few are chosen. For many are called, but few are chosen. Folks, we are among the elite. It's few that are chosen. That's amazing. Another wonderful verse is in Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. He says this, when the Gentiles heard this, when the Gentiles, the, the gospel comes into their uh, culture, and they hear this gospel, it says they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they were appointed to, they were chosen out, appointed to eternal life. What does it say they did? They believed. They believed. Let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. And you know this one very well. Ephesians chapter 1, just as, he, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 is another one. Colossians three twelve. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion. We are chosen by God. That changes everything. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. It's something we keep in mind. This is God's... The people that you are with here in church are chosen by God along with you. It's a pre- privileged position. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, 
beloved brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning of for salvation through sanctification by the Holy Spirit and faith to are in the truth. That that is complete. That is pretty precise. First um, in Titus chapter one is another one. Titus chapter one verse one. Paul, an apostle, bondservant of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God. James chapter two and verse five. James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, the promise of those who love Him? And then our precious book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen? Who are chosen? Folks who can't get away from that doctrine. It is clear in Scripture. It is proclaimed in every, by every author in Scripture. In every generation, there's a remnant of God who are chosen. And He reaches down and He snaps them out. Boy, you heard that, didn't you? And He, and he snatches these chosen ones out and He says, These are mine. And they come to Christ, they respond, they hear the shepherd's voice, and they say, that's my shepherd, I love him. And they come to him, they believe in him, they put their faith and trust, and they follow him, they obey him, they obey his word. And folks, there is no more honored position than that. In the whole universe, we're chosen by God. Now let's just think about this a little bit. This... This is a whole new identity. And this new identity, folks, it transcends our natural distinctions of this world. It transcends our ancestry, whether it's white or, or Asian or black or any other ancestry. It, it, it rises above the language that we speak. It rises above the culture that we have in this world. I'm not Carl Dingus the American. I'm not Carl Dingus the, the male. I'm not Carl Dingus the, the white man. There's one church. There's one race. A chosen race. In the church. It's not a black church and a white church or a female church or a conservative church and a progressive church. No, there's, there's a chosen race. There's one. And it's from God. God alone chose. He gets the glory. It's His grace. And so that's humiliating to us. It's humbling to us. And He did it. He preordained it. He did it before the foundation of the world. And that leads to, folks, security in us. And it's unchangeable. Unchangeable. That leads to joy, produces joy and a conviction in our life. Now, let, let me just pull it together here. Because Peter is not just trying to build up your self-esteem. He's not just, he's not tr- just trying to, to, to make you feel good about yourself or make these believers feel good about themselves. 
He is establishing the fact that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a new identity. A new identity. A a different person. Who you are, new person, new capacity, new calling, new privilege, new roles, new responsibilities. New position in Christ. Let's think about this. When Christ rode in that donkey on into Jerusalem that, that last week of his life, that few last few days of his life, he rode into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, and he just chose a donkey, just any arbitrary donkey he rode in. And that was a special privilege for that donkey, but it's still a donkey. It, it, that donkey served the, the, the need of Christ. The focus was Christ. He was the, he was the focal point. We're the same way, folks. He just he chooses us. He wants to use us. It's not within ourselves, not our own value of our own value. He's not just trying to get us to feel better about ourselves. He has placed value upon us because he has chosen us. Our self-worth, our self-esteem is not based upon how we feel about ourselves. It's not based upon how other people feel about us. It's not based upon the circumstances of our life. It's about God's choosing us and putting His value upon our life. That's what makes us special. Now, that means we don't need someone constantly stroking our ego all the time so that we will feel better about ourselves. So that we will have some self-worth. No, that comes from God, and that comes from a whole new position, a whole new privileged um, uh, place, whole new identity for the believer. Now, the question is, do you believe that? Have you come to the place in your life that you realize, man, God has blessed us, and He has put us in this position. And then the question is, what do you do with it? Do you embrace that privileged position or do you abdicate that responsibility? We're secure in Christ. We have value. We value Christ. We love Christ. We are chosen by Christ. We're a chosen race. And God's children, we must understand the privileges that we have in Christ and we must embrace that position with joy. We have a high position, folks. And it's not easy. It's not easy to, to be holy as He is, is holy. It's hard. It's sometimes hard to grasp. But I tell you what, when we grasp it, when we, when we understand it, the worst thing would be to do is to minimize it and to say, oh, it's, it's uh, just kind of downplay it. It's, it's not that important to me. And just abdicate that responsibility. That's a slap in God's face. Oh, I see, I see the privileged position that you're, you're raising me up to, God. But eh, I don't really care for that. It's a lot of responsibility that I don't want. It's a slap in God's face. A royal couple, and they, they can get by with it. They can reject that position, the responsibilities that go along with that. I understand the pressures, it's constant. The pressure is real. But the mature believer, folks, the mature believer, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and understand this, the mature believer, they embrace that role. 
They embrace that position that they have in Christ. And they say, I will be a worshiper to God. I will be a part of that, that building, that temple of worship to God. Folks, there's no higher place. There's no higher, more secure place for the believer than that. And we need to embrace it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness, your grace in our life. We thank you for what you've done, just the drastic change that you brought about, the privileged position that we are in. Lord, like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that they would grasp it, they would get it, that they would understand these blessings that we have. Lord, may we raise rise to that. Give us the grace to understand. And then, Lord, give us the conviction to step out and live out a life of worship to You. Lord, we thank You. We can't thank You enough for what You've done for us and what You've given to us. Lord, I pray that we would be able to yield over a life to You, a, a life that, that we, we give everything, we, we sacrifice it all, spiritual sacrifices to You, because we love You, because we, we see the highest value, and that is Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.